Well, welcome to another Meet the Author. We've got a great speaker joining us today and going to have an interesting conversation. So, Gary, I'm going to pass it right off to you to uh, introduce our guest. Okay, thanks, Maria. Hi, everyone. Glad you can join us. Well, today's book, as you can see by my virtual background, is called Kinevin, Weaving Sensemaking into the Fabric of Our World. And we're actually going to focus on a chapter a chapter that's called The Kinevin Approach to Leading Safety in Organizations. And we have Michael Sheveldave here to talk about that. But I do have to make a disclosure. I and Michael co-authorized this chapter in the book that we are discussing today. At that time, Michael was Vice President at Cognitive Edge, has since then launched into sense-making partners. So welcome, Michael. Glad you can join us today. Yeah, thanks, Gary. Nice to see everyone. Right. Okay. So a couple of words, keywords in the book title. And I remember um, we thought about it quite hard about what is the title of our chapter going to be. And the two words I just want to pick out just so we can get the ball rolling is kinevin and sense-making. But let's start with sense-making. Michael, what do we mean by sense-making? Yeah, I mean, if you look in, uh... The, the research, the literature around sense-making, there's, there's a, a few different schools of thought. Um, uh, Kinevin or uh, Dave Snowden has uh, worked along the lines uh, around complexity, knowledge management, and how to make sense in those environments. Uh, some of the academics, if you do some research on it, Carl Weick comes up around sense-making, Brenda Durvin, uh, some of her work, which I've, I've not studied in depth, looks at it from a communi communications angle. So how do we make sense of our environment? And then how do we make sense of communication as you're a recipient and an and a initiator? Um, but the, the definition that, uh, you know, working with Dave for better, probably over 15 years, and, and he consistently articulates is how do we make, as humans, how do we make sense of our world so we can act in it? Uh, sometimes when I'm teaching and training around Kinevin and complexity is I, I also uh, sort of qualify a little bit is how do we take effective action? Because a lot of environments are action oriented, um, but I would say that they're, they're perhaps pr uh, privilege uh, action too soon prior to deep enough sense-making has, has, has been executed to really understand the context, the environment, the dynamics of our situation and our present state. Um, and and the, if I could be a little bit critical, oftentimes actions are predicated on an assumption of order. In other words, we act with a desired intent to achieve a specific outcome. And that is what really challenges uh, decision makers, people that are taking action, is when you do that in complex times, you make things really, really uh, potentially significantly worse and you have unintended consequences. And most often you fail at trying to achieve the desired outcome. A bit of a rambling there, but uh, sense-making is, is how do we make sense of our environment or world so we can take effective action in it? Yeah, and we also noticed that you can say sense-making as it is, or you can say sense-making with a hyphen in between as well. Yeah. And there's subtle differences, but uh, to me, it's just making sense of the world so we can act. Correct. Yeah. I've got an engineering background, so, so I tend to you know, be practice-oriented, although being an engineer, applied science, that's a background you and I, Gary, uh, share, and I think some others on the call as well. 
is, is the applied science angle is, is we have a desire to understand science. So in sense making, there is theory behind sense making, especially complexity theory. Uh, and even, you know, as we look at the sciences of, you know, cognitive sciences and group think and, and all this human dynamic, it starts, it's a fascinating time right now because we're all immersed in it in a very different interacting um, environment, interconnected in real time as we're doing right now. Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, you begin the chapter by saying most leaders see safety issues as ordered, as you already mentioned. Existing in the Kinevin framework remains of clear and complicated where best practices are valued. Yet while many safety solutions work well there, several solutions, safety issues do not. But to set the stage for this conversation, can you give a, the audience a quick overview of what Kinevin is? Yeah, and it's um, the Kinevin is a framework primarily, and it's a framework that allows uh, individuals, but in its most authentic application, groups of individuals, um, purposely uh, a diverse group of individuals with differing perspectives to explore and understand a certain operating environment or a certain environment or context. So as a framework, it actually has utility. It's not just a framework for safety. Uh, if you flip through the book that uh, Gary, you and I co-authored the safety chapter in, you're going to find topics of leadership, of strategy, uh, public sector, uh, not-for-profit environments, uh, defense and, and security. Uh, you'll even find a chapter on uh, how uh, Kinevin, uh, as a framework, uh, can inform and help understand the creative process of, of, of producing you know, wonderful shows like, uh, like uh, the Cirque du Soleil and, and theatrical performances. So in, in its essence, the framework um, is, is founded on the foundation that there are, uh, we're operating in an environment of multiple systems that are happening at the same time. And the systems I'm talking about is you have aspects of our systems which are ordered and structured, um, some very clear and obvious, so we can understand them very, very, uh, um, uh, without much sort of uh, requirement to, to of expertise or knowledge. These are like, you know, uh, selecting which side of the drive, uh, road we drive on. Some of us have traveled to the UK and, and you can see that the convention and the rules of, of uh what side of the road to drive on are very different than what we uh, uh, subscribe to here in Canada and the US, as well as uh, other parts of the world, including Europe. Um, so, and then aspects of our world are ordered, but they're complicated. They're only the order and predictability is only understood by, by experts. This is the field of you know, engineers, scientists. Um, and then there's a whole in between those two, uh, sort of the order, uh, and the opposite end of that is chaos. And, and we know that, that the world goes through momentary, uh, not the whole world, but aspects and pockets of the world um, going through these momentary periods of, of chaos uh, and extreme randomness. Um, fortunately, chaos does not sustain, you know, otherwise it would be very difficult to, to work in. Um, and the third type of system in between the two, between order and chaos is complex adaptive systems. And this has only been around for the better part of uh, probably 30, 40, 50 years from a scientific understanding. Um, and if you look at complexity in a, from a human system lens, it starts to become really interesting in that humans are interacting at the local level uh, and making sense of their environments and oftentimes making sense of unpredictable environments. 
The challenge with organizations and uh, oftentimes leadership, if we look back, you know, uh, probably since the Industrial Revolution, we went on a track of assuming everything can be ordered and structured. And a lot of things can be like we're very thankful for those of us that fly. Obviously, many of us are not flying as frequently as we did before. But the network and management of the airspace and the systems has has order and predictability in how it operates. Uh, but as one of our, our uh, uh, audience members here, uh, David, would attest to being a pilot is you have to apply human sense making to conditions that sometimes uh, shift outside beyond expectation. And so we have to understand how to navigate in these environments. So Kinevin as a framework, if, if I can take that, those three types of systems helps groups of people make sense of their current state and understand what is validly ordered uh, and should be ordered and what aspects of our environment are complex. And then it sends, says when we make decisions and, and how we understand the complex environments, we have to shift our instrumentation, our monitoring. We have to shift how we take action because we can't predict or work to a specific end outcome. And we have to shift to a, a more uh, action-oriented approach of stimulating the possibilities in the present. And that's where the, the significant shift occurs. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and, and I think what's really, I found fascinating is that you've described the four domains of what we call in the order, clear, complicated, and then you've got complex chaos. And there's this curious the one in domain. The it's, yeah, five, it's a five it domain started framework. Off, yeah, started yeah, off as it, this disorder, then we switched it to, to confuse. Now we have apparatic. So maybe well, what is this one in the middle? Yeah, so, so, so first of all, this is uh, Kinevin is a five domain model. So those, if you hear people or you catch yourself sometimes saying the quadrants of Kinevin, you got to be really careful and, and, and backtrack because you can't have five quadrants in a framework. Um, so the domains are really important to understand. The apparatic confused domain um, is, is really important because oftentimes decision-making or understanding our environment starts from either an intentionally confused state or an unintentionally confused state. And the concept of aporia is actually leveraging that intentionally. The, the confused domain, which was, you know, if you look in the history of Kinevin was disorder, is often, is often described more simplified as, as not knowing what domain we're in. So if I'm, if I'm working with multiple uh, diverse perspectives in a workshop and we're using Kinevin to say, make sense of safety environment or using it for understanding strategy, I will purposely put, and, and oftentimes practitioners that understand Kinevin will do this, is we will concentrate group think at the table. So the room, the facility, the, either the virtual room or the uh, physical room we're actually working in, let's say you have 15, 20, 30 people working and you've got five or six tables of people, is you concentrate group think, the like-minded thinkers at each table, because then the contrasts between the tables will actually give you, amplify that diversity. Um, and then we work with a similar data set. So we might be working with things that are happening in our operating environment, in our company. So everyone's working with the same data set. And if they place situations, map them into Kinevin or, or map aspects of those situations across Kinevin differently, that means across our operating unit, the whole room is where in, in essence confused because I've got one group of people saying that this is a complex issue and another group saying it's complicated and another group maybe saying, no, that's clear, right? So in essence, our collective understanding of our environment 
is in a confused state. And those aspects then come back into the fifth domain of disorder. And you can run another cycle of your workshop where I actually break up the group think and now I create diversity on the teams. So I reset with different teams. And I say, now make sense of that, those confused items because you guys didn't agree with them initially. And so what we're, what we're doing in that, in that workshop process is we're using the collective understanding, the collective sense-making in the room to create a contextually relevant Kinevin model of our operating environment so that then at the end of the session or at the end of the series of sessions, we can now make decisions with a much deeper appreciation and understanding of our safety environment or an understanding of our leadership objectives or our understanding of our strategy and direction going forward. So really Kinevin helps organizations and groups um, honor and understand that aspects of our environment are inherently uncertain and complex and we shouldn't assume that they can be made uh, and managed in an ordered way. And that's where we challenge best practice. If you read some of the background on, on Kinevin, we actually say that uh, those practitioners working with the framework say that best practice is a valid approach, but only for things that are clear and obvious. If we're in the complicated domain, there's order and repeatability there, but experts are, are required to make sense of that order and inform actions and decisions. Um, but we relax our practices. We don't assert best practices in complicated situations. We say that's where we follow good practices. And the reason it's, it's important distinction is we relax that because if you've worked with really deep experts, you know that one of the challenges things of leading deep experts is having their trust. If they don't trust you, the worst thing that, that you can do in a, in a deep expert environment is, is, is force best practices upon them because they're the ones that have the understanding of the system. So allowing good practices gives you some variability in how they apply practice. Uh, in the complex domain, we rely more on exaptive practices where we stimulate novelty and, and paths forward emerge from our interaction in those environments. Cool. Rosa, did you have a question for Michael? Well, let me unmute myself. Ah, hold on. <laughs> um, yeah, you're good. Yeah. Uh, am I unmuted now? Okay. I just, oh, I, I've just taken so many notes. It's, um, my head is is bubbling because I'm doing a, um, I'm working with in a nuclear facility. Mm. Uh, and of course that the, all their models are extremely linear. And I don't know if you have any experience working or trying to introduce new ideas there. And, uh, and I was wondering uh, right now, uh, COVID has had a huge impact or, and, uh, and I'm wondering if uh, when COVID hit, would that be an example of entering a, cha a chaotic period, at least initially? And, or is it still in chaos because we just didn't know what to do or what to expect? Is that a good example of that? I, probably at best, maybe a shallow dive. I mean, there might have been periods of time when things were um, breaking out. There might have been, you know, chaotic aspects of people's, um, you know, not knowing, right? And, and, and so I think people were, we, there's such inertia with past practices. I mean, you know, even if you think about your family unit, think about your company, your organization, think about the world, right? And when, when something as um, a concert or, or the, the conditions of what appeared to be a pandemic were emerging, because it's, it's kind of like, if you think about how we I evolved to 
recognize that we entered a pandemic situation um, is it's kind of like walking through the mist in uh, or the fog in in you know in a in a mountainous range or on a trail is or you're in an aircraft coming out of the out of the clouds and 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 before you see ground it's hard to delineate exactly when it happens and and sometimes it's depending on the density and and the variation of of the the mist you're going through or the fog you're going through it could be for, you have a protracted period of just not knowing so within the pandemic, I think there was this period of um, the world just going on as, as we knew it, but everyone, I, for example, was on my last business trip was occurred right at the starting point of, of the pandemic or understanding of what was happening with this virus that was coming out of China um, is uh, I was in Germany and then Romania. And as the days progressed before I left, I can feel myself sort of getting a bit more anxious of my, my routing. I had a colleague that, that was also on a part of the business trip with, with uh, us in a group and we were in Germany and they had to route, route through Paris and they were getting nervous because there were some cases that were emerging through Paris. So coming through the airport there. So I to say it was the whole world was in chaos, no, but I think for certain people in certain contexts, definitely if you're at, in Wuhan, right in that area you know things were ripping quick i think there was in more of an intense chaos place um human nature is is we don't we don't stay in chaos long people will actually um like even in a natural disaster and there's been unfortunately more and more seem to be happening around the world whether they're flooding or wildfires like gary and i are experiencing in our backyard and, and some of us in, in the, along the pacific northwest or the west of the us um these these events happen and there's you know you know hours or at most maybe a day or two and people are in a chaotic state but then stability start to form very very quickly so i don't think it was full-on chaos rosa but but pockets and elements and aspects of it were well from what you're describing it seems to me um people did move in to create order out of it with rules i'm talking now you know yep. wearing masks and then in in the organization some people went home to work from home and some stayed because they had they they, they couldn't manufacture without them but um okay so what's the role of emotions in all this because um uh, then the unexpected outcome of that was a lot of resentment from the people who had to come in every day, looking at the people who were at home, spending time with their family, uh, not, not spending money on commuting or vehicle wear. Uh, so now they have this um, situation that they have to deal with on the emotional side. So where, where does that fit into the model? Why? I think I think that's classic classic complexity at play, um, and, and and you reminded me of it's amazing how we're deep into this pandemic and the current situation um, where we're, we start to forget some of the things we went through. And I would say yes, the 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 not the home based work was I think it threw the whole work environment for a lot of organizations into a short period of. Uh, manageable chaos. I think a lot of organizations realize that we're expecting more chaotic implications and challenges with productivity or performance. Mm -hmm. um, I've encountered far more people that were pleasantly surprised that operating effectiveness was actually sustained in, in a lot of cases, in several cases, in a better way. So it presented a really interesting way that you know people still were able to connect the inertia of the processes and the systems. Like, don't forget, like 
recognizing Kinevin as its ability to make sense and recognizing complexity does not say that, that ordered systems and structures are, are no longer needed. This is not a pendulum swing. Mm -hmm. It's actually, it's a both and. In a lot of environments, you mentioned the nuclear environments, thank goodness that, that a lot of those systems are, are very, very rigidly mapped out and procedures are in place because you're dealing with operating in a very, you know, a very dangerous, uh, potentially very dangerous and catastrophic process. Um, so, so in that, the emotions and what, how people interact, one of the things, the principles of complexity that I really enjoy is it, it, it brings the human aspect of shared, not only shared sense-making, but shared uh, contributions of ideas for action. And I think one of the things that possibly could have been done better in managing in environments, and this is just my speculation because I don't have experience in this, but if I was working within or advising a leadership team working with an organization that was having some split, you know, some staff are having to work from home now, some staff due to operating environments have to come in, is I would actually facilitate the workforce in making sense of what we need to do, right? Because there's constraints that are being imposed. There's public health orders, there's government regulations that the, the organization or the operations or the company are, 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 are under. Um, so I would have worked with early on having them join SenseMake because if groups of people feel that they're part of the decision process, part of the sense-making with leadership and management, <coughs> then you would actually, I think, avoid some of these chasms that get created of emotional sort of, you know, envy or questioning. It's when actually people get hard constraints imposed on them, right? Uh, that feel that perhaps they shouldn't have been imposed the way they are, that then you create these residual uh, 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 tensions and feelings. And they could have unintended consequences because, I mean, one of the things, especially in, 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 in high risk work environments, uh, people's not only individual attention to, to what's happening around them, but the collective attention has to be, you know, managed and monitored carefully. And what you don't want to do is you don't want a group to get emotionally charged up on something that takes their attention away from the high risk process that they're managing that could have potentially catastrophic consequences if, they, if they're not paying attention. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Thank you. Anybody else have any questions or comments for Michael? If you do, um, just raise your hand uh, tomorrow and I will see that and um, we'll, we'll let you turn on your mic and share that with us. Okay. Uh, one of the things that Michael did say is the Kinevin book itself, it's made up of chapters that are why, there are more chapters about the what, and then what we wrote and ours was a chapter really for practitioners. So we covered three how-to key points because it's one thing to talk about it, but again, it's all about how do you act in it. Um, just briefly, and we'll hopefully get through all three today, but the first one was, and Michael kind of alluded to it, we work with this system as a whole. The second key point that we made in our chapter was you work from the present state, and how do you do that? So we can hope we can get into that. And the last one is that you work with small actions to create conditions for big improvements. So let's go back to that first one. Is there any more you wanted to talk a bit, Michael, about working? Yeah, with I think I think it's important. I mean, yeah, I was in preparing preparing for for our conversation this morning. I was just flipping through the chapter again, and 
it would be wrong to assume work with the system as a whole to think that you have to work with this with it as a whole with an outcome mindset right one of the things that we often say in complexity is you always have to be recognized you're working with a partial awareness of the entire system so we probably could have you know, alternatively, I mean, just as easily, Gary uh, chose to say, work with an understanding that there's a there's a whole system that you're partially aware of. I mean, it would have been a bit, it would have been more accurate to say it that way. Um, but recognizing that there's a whole system out there, and recognizing that a significant um, aspect of the system is complex or an element of it, is is working with as a whole is understanding how the micro decisions, micro attitudes are aggregating across the entire, you know, department, uh, division, company, enterprise, right? Because then appreciating that they have a whole is allows you to understand the whole by recognizing that that individuals and small teams have to work in their specific environments, right? Oftentimes with the concept of working a system as a whole with an ordered outcome is to say, look, we want our overall safety performance to look like this, right? And then, then we decide how do we get there and then we you know, break things apart and we get everyone has to work along, along these lines. Um, where our approach in the chapter is working the system as a whole is recognizing that there's a lot of interacting elements and observations and sense making that people are making. How do we link in and connect them across the entire organization? So we can make sense of, say, attitudes that are perhaps slipping into a potentially dangerous cavalier sort of uh, pattern so that we can interact in that. And how do we allow people to do it? So that's that's the, the work with the system as a whole. Um, and then number two, Gary. OK, well, let's let's pause right there, because I've noticed in the chat there's some really good questions that are being asked sure. about Devin. And so, um, Jeremy, you've got one. So you want to open your mic and share what you're saying? So we got on the topic of COVID and um, the company that I worked for, we went into, uh, we actually took our emergency management processes during that initially. And one of the things that happened is uh, as we removed workers, management type workers like myself out of the operating environment, the uh, clarity and simplicity or I'm going to call it more stable ops return to the operations groups. I think we were pretty dumbfounded about how much complexity we were actually introducing into our operations organization where people can actually get hurt. It's pretty surprising. No, I, I mean, that's an interesting observation. And, and it, you know, obviously, I, you know, in my opinion, you're, you've got a fairly strong self-aware group. Um, because, because oftentimes we find is, is and that's where putting people in position around. So you know, you're the culture person, or you're the the head of safety person. Oftentimes, or team, like you allocate a team, is those teams or individuals feel they have to do something, right? And most high performing individuals, high performing teams are heavily action oriented. But we oftentimes don't sit back and ask why is this necessary? Are we asking the right questions? Right. Um, and one of the things coming back to that human aspect is I, I, together with a lot of practitioners, we start with the assumption that, look, your organization already knows, you know, management or leadership might be a bit challenged because the patterns, what we're seeing are not there, but the collective knowledge of the operating environment and the wisdom across your workforce is amazing. 
right? So how do we partner with the frontline staff with across the layers of the enterprise and the operating units to together make sense of this complexity? Because then I think what leadership is actually liberated to actually do the things that support that knowledge, support that understanding, rather than sort of imposing their overall understanding. And that's why it's, I think a lot of leadership programs which really uh, emphasize the fact that you know, lead, effective leaders are the ones that say they don't know and they don't need to know everything, right? But they're there to support and convene and, and, and facilitate right, in, in the safety realm, facilitate a sustained emergence of high performance safety out, uh, 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 achievements, right? But it's an emergent property as, as Gary uh, has often articulated and we articulate in our, in our chapter. I just got to tap in here for one moment because Dave Day, I saw your hand go up a little bit ago. Did you have a thought or, or question you wanted to ask? Okay. I think you have to unmute yourself, Dave. Let's find out whether your audio is working. We might have oh, to go to chat for you, Dave. If you can, if you okay. can type in your question, we'll. we'll yeah, he we'll did. Hold on a minute. Hold on David. a minute because yeah. he's okay. not unmuted. You can see his mic. Do you want to try to unmute your mic? There you go. Yeah. Am I am I unmuted now? Yeah. Hey, good to hear you from you. Okay. I'm. My question is, uh, can we say that Sinefin? Can Evan with converts hard 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 C. Okay. Um, can we say that Sinefin? converts signals from a chaotic system uh, into a recognizable emerging problem uh, that will likely see in that system in the near future. That particular system. In other words, if we were to think of a system, a you you name it, a financial system, a marketing system, a production system, a supply system. I think. Are we seeing signals from those when we tap into them? Are we seeing signals or thoughts from people, attitudes from people in the working in those systems that really forecast what's gonna happen? in the near future. They're, the problem is there, it's emerging, and it's on their mind, if we will, if you can. Yeah, yep, I get you. Yeah, I, we get you. You got the idea, Gary? Yeah, and we, we sometimes call these black elephants. We know that there are problems there. They've been identified. We knew that the pandemic was going to come. We had lots of signals about it, right. but for whatever reason, we chose not to do something until it happened that we yeah. plunged into chaos. Right. right. 
So now how, how we describe it, Michael and I, is that we plunge into chaos. So what Michael says, the first thing we do is we try to get out of chaos. And we do that by stabilizing the situation. And that moves us into that apparatic, confused stage. So we bought some time for ourselves. So now you can think you have some choices. We can force people back into the clear domain, you know, do command and control sort of stuff. We can throw it out to experts and say, you guys figure it out. Or Michael, we can actually go into the complex domain and do some trial and error experimenting, find out what is really going on to make sense of the world. So this leads us on to key point number two, you work from your present state. Okay, so why don't you elaborate on that, that key point that we made, Michael. You work from your present state. Present state, you don't worry about the future, you don't worry about the past, you work from your present state. Yeah, so I think what, one of the, I mean, the fact that the Kinevin framework works from a diversity of perspectives and allows uh, individuals and groups of individuals to make sense of their current environment. Um, to Gary's earlier point, we had, you know, there's lots of evidence that people were thinking the potential of impacts of a pandemic, right? Um, there's a lot of literature out there, but, but people, people we know don't operate well, right, in, in terms of taking action on hypotheticals. Right, and especially in terms of, of, of um, uh, the, the, I would say the masses, I mean, crisis managers recognize the value of uh, running rehearsed, you know, uh, uh, training exercises into prepared decision-making in those environments. But it's, it's oftentimes, more, more often requires that people are immersed in, 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 a, in a crisis type situation before they take action in it. And, and there's, there's some fascinating research on that. So groups of people making sense of the environment, Gary says, in, thrown the pandemic, when we are all thrown into this, right? And organizations are part of that. Um, we actually, because we don't know how to take action, we don't understand the environment. The state is not understandable. There's, there's, there's uh, alternative hypotheses, there's, there's you know, science that's contradictory. There's science that not, has not yet has sufficient evidence. So we're, we're in that confused state, right? Um, and from there, we can determine directions and courses of action. And the courses of action might actually take multiple simultaneous pathways. So aspects, you know, what we, from that confused state, we might identify things that are inherently complex from a complexity perspective. And we will move to a portfolio approach of trying things and seeing what happens. So monitoring, uh, safe to fail, experimenting, right, doing things. We might actually, you know, things that we know could have an immediate effect, but require very clear rules without, with zero tolerance of any, um, uh, any violation of those rules. So hard lockdown, I mean, we're observing it a bit right now. I mean, Australia and New Zealand for the world are, are an interesting example of extreme lockdown to, to full containment. The challenge with, with those approaches um, is the question of, are they resilient? Because very extreme rigid rules can sometimes have catastrophic failure, right? Um, that's why the cliff is there. And then there's aspects from that confused state you might identify that we can need to check the experts at it to continually understand. We need to make sense and analyze what's happening. 
So we see what's happening in places like Israel and, and talking about COVID, we see what's happening in Israel and places like Iceland and stuff where we're understanding the science is showing that the durability, right, of, of some of the vaccines that are used in those countries is not as we expected it. So now the science has to be uh, put at that and, and the understanding of that. So I think this multiple uh, domain approach, right, will help us, you know, navigate out of what started initially as, you know, the, the, the world tossed into a, a shallow dive into chaos, right, uh, and to introduce stabilities. And I think the variety of response is actually from a complexity perspective is going to give a more resilient approach. So the fact that some countries took a certain tact, while other countries took a different attack, we're understanding this, the overall learning, I think, is going to help us our global awareness of how we continue to work our way to, to, to get beyond this pandemic. Obviously, you asked the question, David, of something that's top of mind for a lot of us, but it's an interesting uh, uh, context to really throw the Kinevin framework to make sense and understand it. And when David, you talked about Earth signals, the one that we look at are weak signals or early detection. And this quite often happens from those workers that are in the clear domain because they're at the front line and they'll see something that um, this does not look good. I got a bad feeling about this sort of stuff. So the question is, is when they raise those, I've got a bad feeling stories, who listens to them? And if management is so preoccupied with other things, they just may be ignored or they may be listened to. So what happens there? And this kind of, we don't talk about it in the Kinevin book, but obviously a, um, a very important piece that's related to it is this idea of gathering stories, which I think you've heard before. It's using that anthropology, looking at ethnography and collecting those stories from everyone. That's why we say we work with the system as a whole, because we collect stories from everyone, not just the front line. We collect them from the C-suite, collect them from the suppliers, customers. And, right? and to, you, to the second point in the chapter, Gary, working from the present, yeah. that's actually a bit challenging for us as, as a world dealing with this pandemic right now, because there are inertia and momentum with certain approaches that doesn't, things are changing. Our understanding of what's happening, especially with variants and mutations, things are changing so fast that our, our systemic response, the public health response within regions, within countries, within you know, broader geographies, um, has a difficult time to catch up with the present state. But I think it's really important. Otherwise we're gonna actually have inertia runaway effects um, that are gonna cause us uh, uh, issues that we can't foresee at the moment. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's, uh, let's talk about that third point, the key point, work with small actions to create conditions for big improvements. Let's delve into that, Michael. Yeah, it's um, one of the things that complexity recognizes that in, um, if we think about the system as a whole, uh, we could make sense and understand that there's. Oh, did Michael freeze out? I think he froze. Yeah, I um, hope it's not the wildfires in British Columbia that did that to him. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm wondering, Gary, maybe if we can tr try to bring an example that might be more closer to our actual work experiences. Yeah. Okay. You have can something we... like that maybe you could share? Yeah, okay. Um, the one that we talk about in the book is a very simple one. And my background, and I, I wrote it, so I, I talked a bit about my experiences working for an electric utility company where we would have an accident. So we have an electric pole and we'd have a car accident where some car plows into the pole, pole comes down, electricity wires are on the ground. So if using the Canavan framework, we were in the clear domain, all of us, normal, bang, we have an accident. It plunges us into the chaotic domain. And our first response is we gotta make the place safe. So the emergency crews show up and the first thing they do is make sure that there are no fires burning, uh, that the people that are, are injured are taken care of. And then we cordon off the whole area to make it safe. Obviously we too, we make sure that the power is shut off so we cannot have any potential dangers. That stabilizes the situation. And that allows us then to move into that paparatic confused state. Now, as a line manager, one of my big things is, Gary, you got to keep the lights on. So we did fast recovery, which means going back into the clear domain. And so I just got the fellows to let's fix, you know, let's make, make some repairs so we can get the lights back on. And even if it's temporary, that's fine. Why? Because I got measured as a KPI for duration of power outages. So it was in my best interest to get the power back on as quick as possible. And we would do that. Lights would be restored and Gary would do a good job. But guess what? Four months later, that temporary situation was just still there. Bang, we have another car hit that pole and we go through the same process again. Sydney Decker sometimes calls this um, um, drifting into failure because it happened again. Right? And then we repeat the process again. But this time, Gary's a bit smarter and he's in the apparatus confused to me. And he says, I don't want to go back to fast recovery and repeat the cycle. I got to change something. So what do I do is that I go and talk to the experts. Hey, you designers, there's something wrong with the design. And the designer says, you're right. We have this pole located right at the pinnacle of the hairpin turn. No wonder it gets keeping hit. Well, I think you should change the design. Move that freaking pole out of the way. Oh, good idea. So I give, them a, I give them like, okay, do that within a month, please. And a month goes by, another month goes by, bang, we have another accident. Same pole again, what's going on here? So when I look at that situation, fellas, why haven't you solved the problem? Use your root cause analysis stuff that we all learn about. Well, we try to do that. But then we talked to the city and the highways and we got permits and regulations. We talked to the local residents. If we move the pole there, we would block their aesthetic view. Oh, we've shifted into the complex. It wasn't a complicated problem. It was a complex problem. We need to sit down, get everybody in the same room and discuss how are you going to resolve this problem? So that's how we can use the Canavan framework. Again, the Canavan framework does not 
provide a solution. All the Kinevin framework says, depending on which domain you're in, there are some methods and tools that you want to use. And the thing that we don't want to do is that because in the complicated domain, and guess what? Most of us, we're in the complicated domain. Why? Because we are safety professionals. And we have some sort of level of expertise. And we should be proud of that, which means that we're really good at using a hammer. But let's not see every problem as a nail. <laughs> because this problem, which I explained to you, that was a screw. And if Gary keeps on pounding away with my hammer on the screw, I'm going to damage something and make things worse. So we've got to recognize a screw requires different tools. And those tools are complex tools. And this is what we tried to explain in our chapter, particularly key point three, small actions to create conditions. That's what we want to work on for big improvements. Now, in other language, that's what we call going viral, or we reach a tipping point. And that's what we want to shoot for. So if you're involved in project management or more change management, particularly safety professionals, we get involved in change management. You don't want to do the big launch anymore because the big launch is typically where some leaders, they present the idealistic future stage, which may or may not occur. No, you better have to work with small actions. Do these, like Michael said, and I can see Michael's coming back on, a portfolio of small little, little experiments that you can try. So let's take right now, as Michael comes back on, a good example that's facing us. We're sitting there in an apparatus and we're seeing people, offices, leaders going, okay, looks like we're coming out of the pandemic. I want all my workers to come back to the office. And right now we're seeing the great resignation take place because of that. Or you get some companies going, it's fine. You can work at home. We've settled into that. And then you get what we call the hybrid office. So we're seeing all these combinations, which I think is really healthy because these are different alternatives. Now, which one is right for the company you work for? It all depends because it's all depends on your context and what works for you. And all these things that you're experimenting with, working from home, hybrid office, they all are in the complex domain because you're trying, you're doing trial and error, trying to figure out what's gonna work for us. And for all we know, all those experiments that you're doing in, in, the, mic, in the portfolio Michael's talking about, you may have some whole brand new novel solution that emerges. That's, you know, that that's, it works perfectly. Michael, you want to take it from there to your back? Yeah, sorry, guys. Um, I'm tethering, so if I'm a bit broken up, it's I'm on 4G now or LTE. Um, yeah, I think um, if you're working from the present state and you can't predict a future state, then your actions have to be informed by the present and how you've arrived at the present. And you can't with certainty, if you're dealing with something that's complex, guarantee one way is gonna work and another's not gonna work. So a portfolio of actions is more appropriate. The reason Gary and I in the chapter say uh, uh, a small actions could have significant outcome 
is in uncertainty, the nonlinearity principle applies. So you can actually small things, especially sometimes when small things link and connect, can have a profound impact. But the benefit of actually making them small is you can actually inherently make things safe to fail. This is why oftentimes, you know, massive enterprise corporate organizational change programs rarely, if ever, work with, with the desired outcome they originally start with. Uh, and like how many times have you heard about organizations, leadership teams, you know, announce a major transformation initiative, right? Lots of energy and vigor as it starts, lots of detailed planning, desired endpoints, investments in, in external consultants come in, help advise. You know, if you actually look at those efforts, and if you're, this is where the science aspect I, I really appreciate comes about, if we're all good scientists, right? We would look at the end of three years, which is our timeline we originally started, and we would actually carefully assess how our, you know, multi-million dollar initiative um, worked or didn't work. Oftentimes, leadership teams want to forget that they invested at 20, 30 million on a massive transformation three years out because it's probably aborted a year and a half or two years in. Right. So what we do is within complexity is working with the present is getting teams to understand their present state and then linking and connecting them across other initiatives. Right. And efforts at almost a bottom up approach with top down support and facilitation and enabling um, is a far more effective resilient strategy for sustainable change. Jeremy, you've got a really good question about trial and error, and it brings in Rosa's topic of leadership, particularly humble leadership. So why don't you expand on that, Jeremy? And Rosa, you can pipe in on that one as well, because this is, this is up your alley. No, I, I was just, I guess my question is, um, how do we get over that? Uh, and I'm guilty of it too, so I can speak to it personally, but you know, I've got to have the answers, right? Versus just kind of sitting in the moment and trying to understand it better, resisting the urge to act immediately and uh, becoming more humble in our approach on how we solve problems that we see. Yes, Rose, I teed you up. You can, you can have the floor. No, that's I, anyone. I'm sure everyone has been in that position. Uh, every manager is evaluated on how decisive they are and how quickly they come up with the right answer. So that's part of the problem right there. Um, so internally, and that's why I say um, leadership is a choice and it's a process of internal work uh, because you need to be able to observe that you're under this pressure and uh, develop the relationships around you where you can talk about the need to slow down and bring in these other perspectives. Uh, I'm not saying that's easy. It, it, it's, it's extremely difficult. It's very difficult to go against it, particularly if, if somebody is above you or someone is a really valuable contributor and you don't want to lose that, that relationship. Uh, finding a way to uh, express your concerns uh, and maintain relationships, that, that's something worth uh, achieving, that is. And that's, I'm, I'm currently experiencing that right now with the nuclear group because um, they're so certain that mm. they are right. 
And if I raise questions, they actually consider me unethical. I'm being unethical. So that is, um, you know, it's not an easy situation. I think it goes to the extreme of complexity. <laughs> I don't know yeah. if you agree, Michael. So, <laughs> so, so Rosa, that's one of the, one of the reasons actually um, we we strongly recommend if you're doing sense making and engagements, applying Kineva and applying these methods and doing micro narratives, is in parallel. It's very important to do some leadership development because if you actually um, engage a workforce in this collective sense-making in, in advising, but you're not preparing your leadership to understand complexity from a similar language, um, the, it actually could really hurt you because you're taking action and setting expectation in a way that leadership may not be ready to support. And another, Jeremy, another uh, point to make is, is in highly technical environments and probably the most technical environments is what the, you know, the, the uh, industry that Rosa's working in are now nuclear, but very technical environments tend to um, advance and put into higher positions of authority and power. Those that have demonstrated extreme confidence and extreme knowledge of very complicated processes. So when they elevate into higher positions of authority, they're naturally inclined to think that they have to be consulted because they are the expertise or they are the experts. So their expertise, some, so oftentimes the reason that they get opportunities to elevate into bigger decision-making roles with budget authority is because of their technical knowledge and competence. But that same competence could actually really um, hurt their ability to lead at the, the levels that they're entering. Okay. Kevin, your hands up there. Would you like to um, chime in here? I, just a couple of things uh, building on the, uh, the point that Rosa made, which uh, takes me all the way back to Edgar Schein and uh, you know his, his very early book, Process Consultation, which is about how you contract with your client from day one, um, and then you then you test it early on just to see uh, you know how aware, self-aware the leadership is and how how they are prepared. How, how much they're prepared to take on board your feedback um, in, in terms of you know how they're performing as leaders. So that, that, that was the first point. The second point was, you know, the number of times when I'm working with clients and I say, okay, how are we going to monitor and evaluate this, you know, you know, a 10 million, 50 million pound project? How are we going to monitor and, and evaluate it? In a formative way, in a real-time way, so that we know well exactly whether we are making a difference. And the number of times I ask that question, and the, the room goes silent, and and then somebody else asks, takes it off in a different direction. Um, so you know the the appetite to to really understand what is going on from a sense-making perspective, um, just that that just seems to be lost. You know, it doesn't seem to compute with with a lot of leaders. Right. Good point. Good point. Okay. If, if it's one thing we, we did talk about, and if not in our chapter in the book, is that we make the distinction that in the ordered system, which is the Kinevin complicated and clear, our focus is on the parts. And typically it's people, it's processes and technology. So we can take them apart, we can put it together again. So we think about this as Lego bricks, working Lego bricks, and that's perfectly fine. But over in the complex domain, it's relationships and interactions that we have to put our attention on. 
And the and I like to talk about mayonnaise at that point. You can't take mayonnaise apart. You got to work with the whole. Okay. Um, and if, okay, um, we're getting to the top of the hour. The last question I have, which I usually end all these meet the author sessions, is three takeaways that the author would like to leave. So, Michael, do you have oh three takeaways you'd like to share? Yeah, I, I think I think it's a variation of an emphasis on on what our chapter put in is is recognize working with the whole is informal and formal. So the informal is the human aspect. The formal is explicit structures procedure. But when you're looking at safety, is you can't you can't separate them nor can you actually take a formal approach on the informal, right? So fundamentally, it, you know, you, you have to work, work with that. And, and recognizing that the present state, and this is a point I think around Jeremy, Jeremy made, is you know, um, leaders have to catch themselves sometimes as having the solution or having the knowledge, right, to guide and direct. Um, be careful after that realization. You have to make understanding if the people that are following and working under your leadership are expecting you to lead that way, you have to work from that present state as well. So you can't just simply hand off decision authority. You know, a great way to throw a bureaucratic department into chaos is to give them, all, you know, complete latitude and decision authority without any, you know, direction or guidance, right? You toss the whole bureaucratic group into, into um, chaos, right? And then recognizing that, you know, giving groups of people a portfolio of things that they can at the front lines, bottom up, advise and take some authority on, recognize that that's going to take a little leap of faith, but, but you'd actually be quite surprised at how groups self-organize and actually get things done. And this is some, a key learning that the pandemic has left us, is a lot of you know, positive inertia in organizations handled this significant disruptive of working environment extremely well. Right? What's the learning in that? Right? I had one organization, one, one uh, leader in an organization wrestle for two years before the pandemic hit on desiring a, a greater flexibility for himself and his workforce to have more uh, work at home time. And their argument, his superiors said, it's just not, not feasible because the risks are too high. We're, we're going to lose productivity. I asked him five months into the pandemic, I go, how's your productivity? He had a chuckle. He says, we're 25% above what we ever achieved before. I go, wow. I go, your exec VPs and the, the exec com must be really, <laughs> you know, have their tail between their legs because their, their argument, yeah, he says they don't have an argument anymore now. So they're baffled by that. And, and that's a positive sort of pattern outcome. So small perturbations, right, uh, it, with decision authority or action authority at the frontline staff could yield some amazing results. Just maintain a coordinated sort of perspective across the whole, right? And you'll shift your, your way of working. I think those, so those are the, I, I come back to those three points because they're good heuristics to kind of take forward, right? And applying Kinevin as, as a, a perspective filter on our current situations and how things are evolving could be very, very powerful uh, tool for you to, to guide your decision-making through these more uncertain dynamic times. Great. Thanks, Michael. Uh, we're, at, we're at the top of ours. So thanks to everybody for joining in. And I'm glad that we got lots of participation today. So Tamara, over to you to close her off. Yeah, no, it was a great conversation. Thank you, Michael, for joining us today. And thank you, Gary, for bringing this topic. I hope everybody had a great time and we'll see you at the next Meet the Author. Thank you. Thanks, everyone.
one of the best, Gary and Michael, one of the best. Thank you. <laughs>